Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing Podcast. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investment Podcast with me, your host, Frank Flagg. So I'm a little bit hoarse today. I've just finished four days straight, actually, of training. (laughs) And um, I think from memory i've done 40 hours presenting in those four days i can understand why tony robbins speaks in the husky voice he has now (laughs) the reason for me mentioning that is because at this event it was a uh, an event where i didn't know any of the delegates it was a brand new set of uh, of people right before i started i was just saying hello to some of the uh the people walking through the door and this lady walked in with her husband and uh, I said, oh, hi, nice to meet you. And everyone was wearing name badges. And I said, oh, nice to meet you, Rianne and James. They walked through and I said, oh, where, where have you traveled from? And they, and they said, oh, West Wales. And I said, oh, West Wales, that's awesome. Whereabouts? And they said, uh, a very small town in, in West Wales, quite close to where I used to go from. In fact, I used to have a girlfriend in that in their town and I said car that's really close to where I went to school I went to school in Lampeter the lady turned to me and said I know (laughs) I said what do you mean you know and she says I know you and as I looked at her face there was this very very faint recognition and it was 34 years ago that I last met her so how old was I then I was seven Oh my goodness, (laughs) there you go. I was seven or eight when I last met her. What's the chances of that? But I could recognize her face. Isn't the human brain amazing? She and her husband had had a conversation about, could it be the same Frank Flegg that they'd known from from years ago? She was a PE teacher and so she'd known me from from sport, but also she knew my mum because my mum was a PE teacher in in that uh, neck of the woods because that's where we lived. She knew my sister's names, knew my dad. Amazing, absolutely amazing. I didn't, this episode isn't just about (laughs) the coincidence of of meeting someone that that I hadn't seen for, for several decades though. Over dinner that night, Rianne and James asked me a question and I don't think I've ever been asked this question before. I'm certain I haven't. And um, and I, I said I don't think I've ever been asked that before and, and it sounded weird because it was such an obvious question. But I think it's really valuable. So the question seemed so simple, but it was so, how? because obviously I'm, I'm teaching wealth and property investment and personal development you know the the three are very closely related and linked the question was so we're here frank at this seminar there's about 70 people something like that maybe 65 and they said look we're here at this event and it was a joint venture partner of mine that had put the event on so they were clients of my joint venture partner so they said, you know, we're being mentored by this person and we're in this event and we're being taught by you. How did you start investing in property? How did you get going? And it's such a good question. And so in this episode, I'm going to recount how I got going, the mistakes I made and what I would do differently if I could go back and speak to my former self. And I, I'm pretty sure I've only ever covered little tidbits of this, little bits and parts and pieces on the podcast. And I thought, actually, because I I recounted the story and there was maybe eight people on the table. And um, and I thought, God, 
I, like they, and they're asking me questions and and I was thinking actually I wonder if that would be valuable to uh, to you guys on the podcast so let me unwind I'm going to start at university at university I realized that the rent I was paying times the number of people in my house was high and that the house next door that was up for sale was comparatively low priced and that made it really attractive to buy a property and rent it out to students and I remember going along to Halifax in Nottingham I was a student in Nottingham and I remember going along to Halifax and asking the mortgage broker what the score was about mortgages like how much a mortgage how much they would lend and what it would cost a month how much deposit would need to be put down etc and the reason I know I did that is because years later I went for a mortgage with Halifax and they had my address as my student house in year two or second year of university and um, and it reminded me of oh yeah I did go into that Halifax and yeah I got a mortgage illustration and I can remember them printing it out for me and me taking it home and sitting down with a cup of tea and reading it <laughs> and that's where it started realizing how good property would be and thinking oh that make me a lot of money fast forward probably three or four years and this is, this is the risk, isn't it? The risk is time just passes you by. I nearly dropped out of uni. I probably would have started in property a lot earlier had I dropped out of uni. I nearly dropped out of uni Christmas of year one just to start earning money and, and, and get a job. But I didn't hung in there. My girlfriend at the time, her dad had his own business. He was an architect. And he, I remember asking him, look, if I drop out, will you give me a job? I'd, I think in the next three years, I'll learn more about architecture fancy that i could have been an architect <laughs> that would have been uh, a different career still in property funnily enough i said would you give me a job and he said frank i will i absolutely would give you a job i'd love to but i'm not sure it's the best thing for you you can always come and become an architect afterwards but getting that university degree under your belt is is valuable even if because i was studying human genetics and i decided i didn't want to become a geneticist i'd missed the bit where you just stand in a lab coat and you micro pipette <laughs> minuscule amounts of liquids into test tubes and petri dishes <laughs> so i decided to hang in there and i finished my university at the end of university, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had worked in America every summer at uh, American summer camps. I'd had a gap year before uni. So I traveled a bit there to East Africa and to America. And I'd worked in Holland as an au pair, believe it or not. I'd worked as an au pair looking after uh, two little girls in Holland. I got to the end of university and I, I remember just walking around the careers fair and I had no idea what I wanted to do but there were two stands that caught my eye and one was a leadership program for BAE Systems and it was their top program. I want to say it was called Sigma and they basically put you in different divisions of BAE Systems for six months apiece for I don't know how many years, five years or something. And then at the end of it, you could choose which division you worked in and you, you basically were expected to accelerate uh, through their leadership program. And so I applied for that. And at the same time, I applied for what was called fast track teaching, which was identifying future leaders in schools, putting them through a leadership focused PGCE, which is a postgraduate certificate of education, which is what you need in the UK to teach 
in a secondary school. And so I, I applied for both of those and it would have been Skype in those days. Isn't it interesting how Zoom has completely overtaken Skype? But Skype was the, the video conferencing uh, software before Zoom. And now it seems Teams is overtaking Zoom. It's very interesting. So I had all these preliminary interviews. I had to write a really detailed application for both. And the BAE Systems one was first. And it's again, it's it's like sliding doors. If you know that uh, movie, you know, one little event can change the rest of your life, the, the butterfly effect. And it just so happened that the BAE Systems interview face-to-face -face interview was before the fast track teaching one and i went to this interview it was two days residential interview in this really fancy five-star hotel i'd never stayed in such a nice place um they had shark on the menu for dinner when you helped yourself to dinner it was unbelievable it had a gym a sauna i just it blew my socks off like i'd, I'd grown up pretty uh pretty frugally there were interview after interview after interview for these two days and they brought in actors professional actors to role play with us and so they'd say right you're going in to meet with um there's one one um exercise that just stands out it was so traumatic for me um and so they said they said to me so i'm what age am i here i'm 18 out of uni 19 for my gap year 20, 20 i'm 22 roughly and the the little brief is your boss's daughter is ill and he's had to rush to the hospital to check it check on her she's gone into hospital he had a meeting today with this guy peter from holland peter's flown in from holland and it's been too late to let him know so in um 10 minutes time you need to go in and meet with peter and obviously make the apologies here's a quick rundown of the project and where you're up to and so i read that and i thought oh this will be okay you know peter will understand that my boss's daughter's ill and he's had to go to hospital so um i walk in and and sit down and i've got my notes i've spent 10 minutes preparing and reading about the project because they give you all this dummy information it's brilliant they um peter comes in and um he stands there and he's a professional actor and he says who are you and i go oh hi i'm frank Nice to meet you, Frank Flagg. I work under my boss, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. This is ridiculous. Where's where's your boss? And he gets, he gets more and more irate. And I'm trying to placate him and calm him down. And I explain about the hospital. And he goes, yeah, but last week it was his wife. And the, the week before it was, he had a really important emergency at work. And I've flown over three times from Holland. This is this is ridiculous. Do you guys like not know anything? And it was really rude. And I remember I remember thinking, oh, I wasn't ready for this. And like, I didn't, I just didn't know what to, I, and I know I did rubbish. I did really poorly. And obviously in every interview, there's one or two observers and they're observing you and writing notes and oh, I was really flustered. And another time, there's another interview where you had to pick whether you're gonna keep selling one aircraft that was profitable, but was at the end of its lifespan, or whether you would invest in this new, like it might've even been the Typhoon um, fighter jet. 
and whether you were going to start investing in that but you were only going to start making money after like three years and i remember i picked the old aircraft and then we were put into an interview with three or four other um uh interview candidates this guy had drawn a brilliant graph showing how much more money we would make over five years if we went with the new aircraft and i remember sitting in the uh interview thinking oh i got that wrong wrong as well so anyway needless to say and i did i don't think i flunked it. i think i did okay but i was just like rabbit in the headlights i wasn't successful in uh, in that interview but a month or so later i had the interview for fast track teaching and i was like right i know what to expect and that and the coincidences here are huge that was a two-day residential interview at a swanky hotel i was like wow what's the chance of this so i knew what i was doing and i did much better and i was successful and I, I decided to become a, um, a teacher, a fast track teacher. So I went and did my PGCE. I wanted to do it in Nottingham, but I couldn't because you had to go to certain fast track approved university uh, PGCEs. And so I went to Cambridge, Cambridge University, and it was brilliant. I learned so much. I still use stuff now that I learnt on that PGCE, loads actually. I taught in two different schools, had some amazing mentors in those schools, and then became a teacher. Got a job back in Nottingham, in a city, Nottingham. And, and even that is fortuitous. So I applied for a teacher, a science teacher, secondary science teacher, at a place called Genogli, Genogli Academy in Nottingham. And uh, I think it still exists. I went up and I interviewed and you had to um, teach a lesson, but it was only like a 10 minute lesson. It was really weird because they wanted everyone to do it within an hour. And so every candidate for the role had to do a 10 minute lesson. And, and I remember sitting down with my um, professors or instructors at, at the PGC and going, you know, what's a good topic to teach? So I, t I, I picked, I can remember it now, I picked evolution, specificity of, or adaptation of animals. So I had like a polar bear and a camel and it was only year eight, which is like 12 years old. So I was getting them to describe and work out how the camel was adapted to the desert and how the a polar bear was adapted to the cold temperatures of uh, I don't know where the polar bears live the Arctic or Antarctic Arctic I want to say so because it's a 10 minute lesson it's really hard and there's this thing in teaching where you have to measure the learning that the kids have done it's not enough to teach a lesson you have to then check that they understand it but but it was a 10 minute lesson which obviously is very artificial so you have to do a starter which would, could even take five or 10 minutes in and of itself. You have to do like a main chunk of the lesson and then you have to do what's called a plenary. So I'd, I'd done this and of course it was really artificial because, and you have to write a lesson plan and stuff. So I wrote my lesson plan and I did my starter and my lesson and my plenary. But in order to measure learning, I decided to get the kids to do a quiz and so at the end of it, I got them to write down. I had like 10 questions for them and they had like 10 seconds per question, which, you know, is a, a couple of minutes max because it had to be so quick. And they wrote down their name on, on a piece of paper and they 
I think I printed off the sheets uh, and then they went like question one this is the answer question two so I collected all those in and in my lesson plan I was I said I'll mark those and that would inform me of the level of understanding the level of learning that they've done uh, in the lesson and, and I could pick it up next lesson anyway they sent in and I thought I thought this is so um naive of them they sent in a nqt teacher which is a newly qualified teacher who has only taught one year they're, they're basically in their, their their first year that teacher so so you did your teaching 10 minutes and then you went and had an interview so i had an interview with hr and i taught my lesson and then they said thanks so much we'll phone you later and the head of science who i'd got on really well with phoned me and she said oh frank i'm so sorry but you haven't got the job and i said oh that's okay i said i have to admit i'm absolutely gutted because i really wanted the job it, it, it seemed a really good school to me i said do you mind if i ask you know for some feedback and she said no no not at all she said and, and I could tell she was gutted she said I, I'm really disappointed Frank uh, I, I really uh, wish we'd um, selected you however in your lesson you didn't measure learning you didn't gauge their learning and that if it is a requirement of Ofsted which is the um, inspection body for schools and she said if if you had done that lesson in front of Ofsted it would have um, failed it would have been a a failed lesson it would have been an unsatisfactory lesson and, and for that reason we just can't uh, we can't employ you and I said oh I understand if that was the case but but I did measure learning if you look at my lesson plan it says I'm measuring learning because I've collected in their sheets and I'm gonna mark them and I said I have collected the sheets so if you want me to pop back, I can pop back and show you what they've learned. And she said, oh, Frank, I didn't know that. And of course, she hadn't observed my lesson. She hadn't even seen my lesson plan. She'd just taken it from the newly qualified teacher. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, but that, that is our final decision. We can't offer you the job. We've decided to offer it to someone else. We already have offered it to someone else. And she was really gutted. And so was I. Like, we both wanted me to have the job. And so I said, oh, okay then. Well, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. But unbeknown to me, she phoned a head teacher of a neighboring school and said are you looking for a science teacher and and he said yes yes i am and i i was i was phoned up by a head teacher of a of an inner city school in nottingham and it was it was one of the top schools in the country for value added it was amazing the the guy um uh, Barry Day, his, his his name was, was actually given a, a CBE for his work in, in schools. And I have to admit, the way he ran his school was was remarkable, absolutely remarkable. I learned a lot. I taught there for two years, learned loads. And he phoned me up and he left a voice note on my, uh, on my phone. And it basically said, we've heard that you're a... Uh, an exceptional teacher, the head of science at uh, Genoglia have given us a call and let us know, and we'd love to have you for for interview. Please give us a call back. And I'd gone, I was like scouring the Times Educational Supplement. That's where all your all your teaching jobs are every day because my girlfriend was in Nottingham so I wanted to be in Nottingham and I was thinking oh maybe I'll have to take a job somewhere else and oh and then 
it was really really tough i was looking at jobs overseas i remember there was a private school in kenya and i i'd been to kenya quite a bit and and i thought maybe i should go out to kenya for a few years and teach there anyway i went for interview and, and got my job in um snenton which is a uh, quite a low demographic area of nottingham and with my first paycheck i bought my first house i had already viewed loads of houses made offers had my mortgage approved in principle and all they needed was my first paycheck they needed a paycheck and i'd gone for a mortgage that only required one month's evidence of of employment and so i waited for my first paycheck gave that to the mortgage broker and bought my first house um and i can remember i uh i knocked i think i knocked 50 and they were asking 20 126 and a half thousand pounds from memory and I knocked it down to 125,000 and I remember thinking that that was over a month's wages that I'd got off and I was over the moon that I'd saved 1500 pounds my take home was 1400 pounds a month I bought that house and my girlfriend and I at the time had been really frugal really frugal for unit through university and we'd saved quite a lot of money I'd worked I'd worked as a swimming teacher all through uni I remember thinking I was working more hours than I was actually studying at one point. I was um, lifeguard and swimming teacher, and swimming teacher was quite well paid. It's like twenty pound an hour, which twenty years ago is quite a lot of money to a twenty-year-old, twenty-two-year-old. And so I'd saved quite a lot through uni. I'd worked every summer in the states. I'd worked during my gap year, and so I did have a fair bit of money saved up. So we bought the first house. I'm pretty sure on a. 95% loan to value mortgage and I realized that we had enough money to buy another one so I found a little hundred grand house in Arnold <laughs> uh, Nottingham and um, I don't have either of those houses anymore my uh, my ex-wife from my first marriage um, got them both in the divorce but she and I've just paused now because I can't remember why she got them both in the divorce. But anyway, she got them both in the divorce. I think I got an 85% loan-to-value buy-to-let mortgage on that second house. And that cleared us out. That was all our money. But I bought two houses. I lived in the first one. Really, really liked that. Mortgage was quite low. Mortgage was lower than the rent would have been. And my, my profit on the buy-to-let, I'd like repainted the for sale board with white gloss paint and then I'd put two let on the board in black gloss paint with my telephone number and every day at the end of teaching I would listen to my voice notes and phone people back and arrange viewings and um, so I did like two or three evenings of viewings in this house and um, it was ready to let there was no work to do which was good every couple of days I'd do, I'd do a few viewings after school and it went really quick it went in like three or four viewings and ah oh, this is really nostalgic for me I can I can remember doing viewings around this house and like putting the heating on and and like my dad said oh you could put some bread in the oven and he was joking but I was like literally doing everything I could to make this house seem lovely and um I remember this guy this young guy probably older than me but young had a um a a, a wife um, that he'd met in Thailand and they had a little baby and they moved into my house and I was over the moon and because I was managing it myself it made me a hundred pounds a month so I remember thinking my take-home is 1400 pounds a month we'd like to earn 1400 pounds a month from 
property and then I wouldn't have to work anymore. And so I worked out that I needed 13 more buy-to-lets and I could retire. And that was the start of my journey. 13 more buy-to-lets and I can retire. I did one more deal whilst I was a teacher. I did a vendor gift, gifted deposit, a new build in Mansfield, which is North Nottingham. And I did everything wrong on that one. Bought a new build. I paid above market value for it, which you often do with new builds. The gifted deposit I thought was amazing. And I, I literally bought the property. I put some plants in the garden and I laid some laminate floor. And I didn't know how to lay laminate floor, but one of my teaching buddies in the science department, he knew how to do it. So he came one evening and we laid laminate in the kitchen. And then I did the bathroom myself. I laid laminate in the bathroom. And I really thought I'd be able to, so I bought this house for, uh, I'm gonna struggle with the numbers, but maybe a hundred grand. And I thought I'd be able to sell it for 115. And it was just a joke. Like it wasn't even worth the, the hundred that I paid for it. And I really thought I'd make 15 grand out of it. And it sat there empty and it cost me five, six hundred pounds in the first month in mortgage payment. And then it cost me another five, six hundred pounds. And I, I very rapidly realized that this wasn't working and that I wasn't able to sell this. And my, my dream of just making 10 or 12 grand <laughs> net in a few months was flawed because I didn't even know how to value property. I was just looking at the fact that, wow, on this estate, they'd sold them for 16 grand, sorry, 116 grand. Uh, they probably hadn't. They'd probably given 20% vendor gifted deposits. You're listening to the Sophisticated Property Investing Podcast with Frank Fleck. If you enjoy this content, why not follow Frank's TikTok, where you'll get loads of bite-sized investing tips. Just search TikTok for Frank Flegg. That's Frank, F-L-E, double G. So what I decided to do as a backup was rent it out um, because obviously my other house may be £100 a month. So this one would, except it didn't, it lost me 50 quid a month. So after I'd rented this one out, I, it cost me £50 a month. So I was paying for this uh, to own this house. And that really, you know, burst my bubble because now overall, these two houses made me £50 a, uh, a month. Oh no, no, overall they made me 50, um, which was obviously 25 pounds a month per property, which meant I needed 52 properties. So yeah, I realized I made a bit of a boo-boo with, with the second one. Well, the, the second buy to let. And so I then thought, right, I need to educate myself. And I guess that is a biggie. I recognized that I didn't know what I was doing. And, and if, if I'd been unlucky, that third property would have worked and I would have made another another hundred pounds a month. And that would have been unlucky because I would have thought I knew what I was doing. I would have kidded myself that I knew what I was doing. And the problem with that is I would have possibly made a much bigger mistake later on. But also I would have definitely not educated myself. I would have come unstuck with... Um, with educating myself, I, I, w I wouldn't have invested in my education. At the time, those of you that are, have been around the block in property investing, you'll, you'll perhaps remember Singing Pig. And so I was on Singing Pig, and which was like a forum for property investors. And then I joined Property Tycoons, which was another property forum. And I was basically just reading and that they were good forums actually, because they were can-do forums. So they, they, they were, 
people I, what, what I seem to experience now is there's loads of information online but they can't do forums so it's people trying to make themselves feel important trying to give themselves significance by and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with trying to give yourself significance necessarily but on those two forums i just described people were helping one another and explaining how you could do deals so people go on and go right i've got this vendor situation and i can't find a mortgage lender what how can i do this deal and it was, it was obviously at a very rudimentary level but it was really um really eye-opening to me and so i started realizing that there was this whole other way of investing where you could invest below market value and in those days if you could buy a house 15 percent below market value you basically didn't need a um, a mortgage you could you could buy the property and get a same day refinance and there were bridging companies that would bridge the deposit in for just a day and and that was really common and in fact one of my mentors um, a bank approached him and gave him a five million pound facility to show them how to do this <laughs> it's that amazing um said look here's a five million facility do loads of these like same day refinances so that we can learn how to how to create a product where we can sell this in in the marketplace and he was like okay then yeah i can do that um and actually i was mentored by one of um one of the most prolific one day bridging providers in the country at one point my mentor was doing a thousand transactions a month he was bridging a thousand transactions a month which is unbelievable um i remember saying to him i've got um got a potential deal it's it was 600 grand I'm, this is a few years into my uh, journey and and i had i i couldn't have done the deal it was it was way too rich for me uh, i didn't know what i was doing so i'm not trying to pretend like I, I, I knew how to do a 600 grand deal um, at that point. It was probably five years or five, yeah, maybe five years in, no, maybe two or three years into my journey. Yeah, it's probably probably in my second year, trying to work it out now. Probably second year of my journey, actually. I can remember, isn't that funny? I can remember where I was driving when I spoke to him. And I phoned him up and I said, right, I've got this commercial building, actually. Um, it's huge. It's like a warehouse, but it's really central. Uh, central nottingham ng1 and it's 600 grand to buy it um but i reckon i could refinance off really quickly how much could you lend and he said well what's it worth and he said if, it, if it's worth enough and you can prove your exit we'll lend the entire amount so we'll lend the 600 grand and i said oh brilliant that sounds great how much notice do you need to lend me 600 grand and he said oh three days if you give me three days that'd be fine so that's how much like money was just churning through. He could do, he could do it that easily. He could do a, a, a 600 grand loan in three days. Absolutely unbelievable, the volume he was doing. So I'd done three properties and through this forum, I started finding out about networking events. So I went to some property networking events and I also, I think, reached out on one of the forums to say I'm in Nottingham, any other investors there. And I met with two investors. And the amazing thing is, both of those investors became joint venture partners. The first one I sat and had a, a pint and a couple of beers in a bar in, um, in Arnold, Nottingham. And we went on to buy 19, 16 or 19, I can't remember, properties together. We formed a company together. We flipped probably another 35 
maybe 40 properties together we worked loads together and have only recently actually unwound our partnership so that was a partnership of maybe 15 years and i also met a guy who a couple of years later we bought a house together big house and we still have that house together so that's probably a partnership of about 12 years um as well isn't that amazing the two people i met from this forum and yeah i just started realizing there was a lot to this um property investment lark and if, if i properly applied myself and properly studied it i could as i'd studied at you at, at school and at university and and i'd studied te uh, teaching as well if i really really knuckled down and studied this i could there was good money to be made and so i did i just handed in my notice and my mind still boggles at the the confidence i had but i guess in that in, in that regard i still have that confidence but just in different ways yeah you know, I, I didn't have kids i didn't have a scooby-doo about oh for those international uh, listeners a scooby-doo is cockney rhyming slang for clue i didn't have a clue so i if you ever hear someone say i didn't have a scooby they mean scooby-doo which is i didn't have a clue so i didn't have a clue as to what i was doing didn't have a plan <laughs> now i'd have a really detailed plan but i just handed in my notice so in in england the summer term ends middle of july and you are paid until the end of august because then you start in september the autumn term so i had six weeks money six weeks wages and I just threw myself into studying and I decided I actually did two weeks work experience I did a week's work experience with one uncle who worked in property he one of my uncles he was down in Ramsgate uh, I think that's Kent and he had a double glazing business so UPVC business so I spent a week with him and and saw him selling and saw him running his business and then I spent a week with my other uncle who had a an estate agency had two or three offices at the time and so I spent a week with both of them and I decided actually estate agency was more more my cup of tea I, I, I saw valuations taking place I saw viewings saw the chain chasing on the phone and I was like yeah I could do that so then I reached out to state agents in in nottingham and here's the funny thing i chose poorly i chose a startup estate agent who had a non-high street location it was just like a serviced office and it's emotional to think about it really emotional because if i'd chosen better if i'd gone for a corporate i think i probably would have done well because i was so motivated i worked really hard I trebled the guy's number of listings in the first six weeks. So I, I bought on more listing, two times as many listings as he already had in the first six weeks. But then I started going through the role and then I realized I, I got paid per listing I bought on like 50 quid or something. And then I got paid 20% commission of what he made. So 20% of his fee for everything I sold. And so I realized the real money was in selling, like selling the houses. I wasn't going to get rich with the 50 quids. So that's what I did. So the whole time I was working there, I was either walking around knocking on doors and I got really good at judging how green the white for sale board post was. So they'd put a new post on and it'd be shiny white. 
and that meant that it had only been on a couple of weeks. But once it started to go a bit green, I could gauge the shade of green and work out if they were likely to be out of contract or not. So I just started knocking doors where it looked like the for sale board had been up for a while. And I, I bought on loads. I'd have a cup of tea and have a chat with them. And they'd say, do you know, we've spent more time with you than we ever spent with our other agent. And you don't even work for us yet. So I'd sign them up. It's like going through like the roller decks of all the old uh, prospects. The trouble is this estate agent didn't have a clue. They didn't know what they were doing. And so I got paid for my first, I think the deal was, I was commission only. And I think I got, the deal was I got paid like on the first day of the month or something. So the first two weeks were the last two weeks of a month. So I got paid like a pittance, a couple hundred quid at the end of two weeks. But then I really cracked on. And at the end of the first month, I was due, it wasn't, it wasn't like 1400 pounds. I hadn't got that high yet, but I, like I'd built, bought a lot of properties on. So there's a lot more to sell, which obviously you need properties to sell before you can sell them. So I like the, the second month was good. The second full month was going to look really, really rosy. Anyway, they didn't pay me. And, and I said, look, it's been a few days now. We said the first of the month I'm commission only like, when am I getting paid? And he, and the guy said, oh, I'm so sorry, Frank, but we can't afford to pay you. And I was like, but you've, I've sold these houses, you've been paid. And he said, yeah, but we're actually running out of money. We're gonna become insolvent. <laughs> and I didn't even know what that meant. And I was like, oh no. And so, so we did that. So I, I he did that and obviously I couldn't, couldn't do anything about it. So what I did was I left there and I thought, right, I've learned loads about how to be an estate agent. I'm going to set up my own estate agency. And so I did, I set up my own estate agency. The street in the middle of Nottingham, opposite Savills. <laughs> I cringe now. I absolutely cringe to think how naive I was. And if I could go back and change stuff. I probably wouldn't change all of that. And the reason being, I heard an interview with Tim Ferriss and Tim Ferriss wrote the four hour work week. And someone said to, someone said to Tim Ferriss in an interview, your book is the most underlined book, Kindle. You know, you can highlight sections in Kindle. It's the most highlighted book of every book on Kindle, which is amazing actually. And to think that you could, they track that as well is very interesting that Amazon track that. Um, and, th and they said, would you bring out another edition? And he said, you know what? I don't know precisely what is so amazing about the four hour work week. And obviously it's quite dated now. Like lots of the strategies don't work, but it's still a really popular book. And he said, I won't, I don't, I won't bring out another version because another edition, because I might change something and that might change the entire book. And then the butterfly effect means people don't buy it and don't recommend it. Like, and so... I think I'm of the same opinion with that those early years of my career, my investing career. So, well, yeah, they are investments, aren't they? Uh, and my business career. So I think I would still open that office. Fortunately, I couldn't find real estate in Nottingham. I mean, this is 2007. was 
just blowing up commercial property was so hard to get very little empty it seemed and 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 obviously because of that i needed a2 planning class which is estate agencies and bookmakers and legal offices and accountants those are all um a2 which is different to a1 which is retail and there's a lot of retail available whether well, there were bits and pieces of retail but not a lot of a2 um anyway i found this serviced office and i was i remember looking at 150,000 pounds a year rent and oh my goodness to think of that now I, I would have found that well it would have just bankrupted me <laughs> for sure so um i took this easy and easy out serviced office and it was a ground floor serviced office which had these little windows that did go out onto the high street and i figured oh, i'll put my properties in the window and i did and it was on a like a, a bus stop so i did get quite a lot of people looking at it i opened my doors in november 2007 and those of you that remember the credit crunch that was Basically, when Lehman's Brothers went under, it was like all falling apart. I went into 2008, was losing £5,000 a month. I didn't have many £5,000. So what I did, and it was the best move I ever made, I took on a mentor. I took on an action coach. That just helped me structure the business. I'd done a load of marketing, which was on one side of a leaflets it was leaflets i did and again i did a hundred thousand leaflets because that made the price per leaflet cheaper it was crazy like that was really expensive um but it forced me to deliver them and by delivering them and on the front page it was do you want to sell your house and on the back page it was do you want to let your house and at the bottom of the front page where i'd done like a platinum level which was two thousand pounds plus vat well i wasn't vat registered two thousand pounds <laughs> i didn't turn over enough to be vat registered that was two thousand pounds and and then i did like a gold level and, and the platinum level had like floor plans it might have even had a video tour that would have been early for a video tour but it might have had and then the gold package was a thousand pounds or or one percent i forget which of the sale price and that was your normal sales package but then i did a silver package which was advertising only i would i, I subscribed to right move so um, i would put it on right move and then all the leads we'd forward on to them onto the vendor so they did their own viewings and that was i think 249 up front so they just paid 250 quid and then they sold their house which actually i think would have been a good move i think i think if I'd stuck with that, I could have possibly made that model work. And then finally, I just had this idea of a guaranteed sale because I had a few friends who'd said to me, if you find a really good deal, I'll buy it. Like, if you've got a really good deal, I'll buy it. Like, friends from teaching and stuff. And I thought, you know what? I'd, and I think I'd joined a B. I had, I joined a BNI group, which is a breakfast networking group. And um, and I thought, hmm, that, that's a good there's an opportunity there. So what I did on the leaflets, I said bronze service, guaranteed sale within 48 hours. And that is what most people phoned me about. We had more calls about the, the guaranteed sale than anything else. And so that's what I did. I went out and I valued that house and I said, look, your house is worth 100 grand. Other agents will say five, 105, 110, but all they're going to do is put it on the market, it'll sit there. And then after a few weeks, they'll suggest you drop it and you drop it down to 100 and then it'll sell and you'll pay 1%, 2% depending on the agent. And so I can do that for you, no problem at all. Or 
you can save me a ton of work and you can just pay me 250 quid i'll take photos today i'll put it on right move for you and every time someone phones we'll just forward you their name and number and you can sell it or and they'd say well how's this guaranteed sale work and i said well I've, i've got some investors that are ready to buy properties your house is worth 100 grand and um they'll just pay 85 for it and i'll have them here offering you 85 grand within the next 48 hours and the good news is if if um if you sell to them they pay my fee rather than you so there's no fee and the number of people that did that it just, it just blew me away i was like wow i ran out of investors my friends were buying and then i was like saying have you got any other friends that would buy this i was charging a thousand pound so they were buying these houses like 100 grand buy to let houses for 85 grand and paying me a thousand pound finder's fee and and so in fact they were getting a 14 percent discount and they loved it i couldn't believe it no negotiating no viewing loads of houses and i and and i had more more vendors more i didn't know the phrase at the mo at the time but it was motivated vendors than i could sell so it was brilliant and that, that's what saved me. And so very quickly I realized I don't need an office for this. Don't need an estate agency office. Um, I closed the estate agency down completely. I closed the letting agency down. I had about 50, 55 properties under management. So that was growing actually, but it didn't suit me lettings because it was really low numbers. You know, you make 50 quid a month per property and you have to be really detailed and I'm, I'm not massively detailed. I don't like monotony and and repetition i like novelty and creativeness and and i like big numbers <laughs> um and so i just decided to start marketing for investors and marketing for um below market value vendors and and i was with my business partner then and we decided to do it together the guy that i'd had a burger and a pint with and and later bought 19 or 16 houses with and that was 2008 so we both had a, a coach a business coach um, I was paying £26,000 a year for an hour a week of coaching. And I remember thinking, that's so expensive. But do you know what? It made me oh, so much money, so much money. So we kind of cut our teeth in 2008 and started doing deals. I avoided bankruptcy by the skin of my teeth. And I'm just thinking we kept the office for a little while. Yeah, we kept the office for a little while. And then we got rid of the office because I realized I could do it from home. Yeah, we might have kept the office for a year or so. And um, and in 2009, I did 26 of those transactions. But we changed how we did them. So instead of just charging £1,000, we bought the properties and we got better at buying them below market value. So some of them we were buying at 20, 25. I think our... our record was about 31% below market value but we were buying them and we started getting finance so we started getting private finance and bridging finance to buy them and then we were selling them on to investors at and we got better at selling them so we started selling them at market value and we would refurbish them and we would tenant them and we were making really good money then. I remember one deal we made £30,000. It wasn't unusual to make £20,000. We, we, we were doing really well. Um, we bought new cars. I remember buying a Saab um, for like £7,000. It wasn't new actually, it was second hand. And I remember thinking, I've made it now. I've got a £7,000 car. I loved it. <laughs> so funny to think of it now. I just had money for the first time in my life. Um, in 2010, early 2010 in one month we paid ourselves my annual 
salary my annual net salary from being a teacher so I'd finished middle of 2007 and in 2010 just three years later I paid myself my annual salary in a in a month and that for me was a real milestone a huge milestone and from there that was where I would start changing things sophisticated property investing make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing now